Let, uh, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that in these moments you would meet us. Holy Spirit, you are most welcome here. So would you speak to us? Would you help us to encounter you? Would you make us different people? And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hello, 945. It's great to be with you. I feel like I need to introduce myself or something. I don't think I've seen you like all summer or something. Hey, uh, I just wanted to start. I recently heard about a story of a city councilman in Ohio who sang the Star Spangled Banner before a Little League game, and he totally botched it. Like, he forgot most of the lyrics. He made up his own lyrics when he couldn't remember the real ones. He actually sang lines like, all the bad parts we watched, and Twilight's Last Feeding. <laughs> like the weirdest line, the weirdest line was through the periest flight. What? <laughs> well, the councilman was totally humiliated, so he made these repeated requests to have another chance and be able to sing the anthem before another game. But each time he was turned down, so he took matters into his own hands. At one of the playoff games, just as the local church choir member was getting up to sing the anthem, there was suddenly this loud feedback coming from the third base side. It was the councilman. He was wearing this headset microphone, had this boom box lifted up over his head, and he was belting out the national anthem. This time, though, he nailed it. It all seemed redeemed until he came to the grand finale. While holding the last note on Home of the Brave, he launched a bottle rocket that took this nasty turn and flew right into the American flag. <laughs> like it burst into flames, fell into the stands. No one was hurt, but uh, they had to cancel the game. Everyone expects a capacity crowd at the next Little League game because everyone's looking forward to seeing how the councilmen will screw it up next. Well, I heard that st uh, story on the radio, and then much later I learned that it was actually part of this story where they tell two false stories and a real one. This one was one of the false ones. But it sure had me going. Did it have you going? Like, can't you just see that happening? Some guy totally embarrassing himself and then developing a scheme to rescue his reputation? So uh, he tries something, but it goes from bad to worse, and the whole thing ends up uh, just horrible. Has anything ever happened to you? It, it has to me. Like, mostly because there's this part of me that really wants to impress people with me. Like, I want people to like me and to, to think I'm a great pastor or a good guy or whatever. So I end up thinking about ways to manage and control my image and the way that other people see me. Now I've shared with you some of the ways that I've done that in my past, like buying a 69 Camaro and fixing it up, which I, I still own the Camaro, or learning to surf and play guitar so that people would like me, especially girls. Now this is when I was younger, right? So especially girls. And then they want to go out with me. And that was my scheme. But the problem is that it never worked. And I almost totally blew through the first date that I was on with my uh, girlfriend, or the, the girl that I dated at that time, who eventually became my wife, because she was not as nearly impressed with my car as I was. And she didn't like the way that I drove it, especially with her in it. So we almost didn't go out again. I mean, it was like, ugh. 
Now, you'd think that would have healed me, right? You'd think that that experience would, would just cause me to be done with uh, image management. No more trying to impress people. But I'm not. What I am is a really slow learner because I keep thinking I can manage and control my image. What is it for you? What are you trying to manage and control today? Is it your reputation, your looks, your grades, your, your social status, your job, your wealth, your kid's future, or an addiction? What is it for you? See, the Bible calls these things idols or false gods. Anything or anyone other than God who we think we need to bring us happiness or fulfillment or some sense of contentment, that's an idol. And idols promise things like happiness and prosperity and power and popularity and success. And it's the hope of receiving those things that keeps us coming back and serving our idols. But our idols eventually break our heart. They wreck us. All the crazy and dumb stuff we do that the Bible calls sin is because that there is some idol in our lives. We wouldn't lie or cheat or be unfaithful, or undermine someone's reputation if there wasn't something else more important and valuable in our hearts than the love and the grace of God. Now that's why God says to us in the first commandment, you should have no other gods, you shall have no other gods before me. Now God's way of wrestling us away from and setting us free from our idols is called worship. Worship steals us away from other loyalties and it brings us back to the heart of God. And that, that's why you and I, that's why we need worship. Now we're going through this sermon series that is called, What Does It Mean? And today's word is? Oh, come on. <laughs> Crickets out there. And today's word is? Worship. Right. Now, we have a lot of questions about worship, right? Like, is there a right way and a wrong way to worship? Like, I noticed somebody raising one hand. Some people raise two hands. What's up with our hands? Does God need to see our hands? Like, what if I put them in my pockets? And, 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 and during worship, like, am I, are there times when I'm supposed to keep my eyes closed? What if I peek? Will God be mad? Like, you know... And is music worship? And what if I don't like singing? What if I stink at singing, you know? Now, most of us, most of us think of worship as what happens here now. Like this, this is worship. Worship is what we do for an hour, an hour and five on Sundays. Sunday worship is a place where we come as a church, where we're restored and renewed and strengthened for the rest of our week. Uh, Sunday demonstrates the importance of worship for us, like that worship is the most important thing we do and everything else flows from our worship. But worship happens, it happens on other days too. It happens throughout our week or it can happen. And there's other ways that we need to worship too. Worship can happen when you're reading your Bible or singing in your car or when you're trying to honor God with your work or uh, at school. Worship can happen when God is asking you to do something, so you do it, like pray for a neighbor or give some of your money away. Worship is more than what happens here on Sundays. Worship, it's a lifestyle for all those of us who follow Jesus. It's all the ways we experience God and connect 
and be part of what God is doing in this world. Now, today, I want to just talk with you about three things that you ought to know about worship. Psalm 96, Chris read it, says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Worship is, first of all, an encounter with God. In worship, God takes the initiative. We don't. God does. He makes the first move and reveals himself to us. His immeasurable worth, his unshakable authority, his love and amazing grace. Now, there are times in worship when our soul soars, like God just fills us. When God is filling us with this greater awareness of who he is and what he's done, those are such rich times. Now, I'm probably the only one for whom this happens, but there's other times when it just doesn't feel like anything happens. Am I alone on this? Like there's, there's no, no, nothing seems to happen. No special feeling, no deep thought, no heart-stopping encounter. That doesn't mean that God isn't there especially at those times, and please hear me, especially at those times, God is preparing us or shaping us. He's preparing us for a future that he sees, so he's giving us a scripture or a song or an experience that will help us through that future. Or he's shaping us. Just the act of worship alone shapes us because we're declaring when we worship that God and nothing else is our greatest love, our deepest satisfaction, our highest priority. Worship is always an encounter with God, even when we don't feel like anything is happening, when we don't see him there. Now, several years ago, I was in a Russian Orthodox church in Russia, worshiping, and the church was this really ornate uh, cathedral. There were lots of pictures called icons hanging on the walls. The priest was walking around with his censer, and sort of incense was filling the room, and he had bells on his, his robe, so he's jingling as he walks. It was almost more than my Presbyterian senses could handle, all this stuff going on, you know. Now, there's no pews or chairs in an Orthodox church. Everyone just stands, Sometimes for three hours. At one point in the service, everyone kneeled down on the hard marble floors to pray. Hundreds of people. So I kneeled down there with them. And the prayer, the priest was praying, it went on and on and on and on. Finally, it was done. Praise the Lord. And we got to stand up again. But within minutes, we were back down on our knees praying. And it was during that second prayer, as my knees are screaming at me, that it dawned on me. It's Holy Trinity Sunday. Like, we're going to probably do this a third time. <laughs> so, probably shouldn't admit this, but as soon as that prayer was done, I'm heading for the door, right? But it was slow going, really slow going, because this place was packed. It was a race against time, and I didn't make it. Because suddenly everybody <laughs> dropped to their knees again. Now some of you can feel my pain, so thank you very much for identifying me. Well, after everyone had kneeled, like there was no open space on the floor, so I'm just left standing there, feeling rather awkward, trying not to step on the people underneath me. That's when I saw this woman in the center of the sanctuary of the cathedral. Her arms were raised up high, her face pointed upward. She was just glowing 
with the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ. Watching her suddenly made me forget about my knees, and it yanked me back to the heart of worship. It was like God was saying, do you see her? Look at that. That's what this is all about. And I have that for you, too. And in those moments, I was suddenly amazed and humbled. His love came over me like this wave, this surge. And all I could do was worship. In a place where I didn't speak the language, in a sanctuary that was putting me on sensory overload, in a moment when my brain and my spirit were headed for the door, God interrupted. God initiated. God met me there. Worship is not about you or me. It's always about God, about what God wants to do, taking the initiative to meet with us. That means it doesn't matter how you dress on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter whether you raise your hands or shove them in your pocket, whether you're peeking or whether you got your eyes closed. God doesn't care about any of that. What God cares about is you, about an encounter with you. He created you for it. That's the first thing that you need to know about worship. The second thing you need to know comes from Colossians 3, 15 through 16. Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now Paul is giving us two different images here, powerful images. The first is the image of the athletic arena, where there was an umpire who had supreme authority to make the final call, to make the ruling on the field. And the second is the image of a typical home in Colossae, a place where families gathered and dwelt. Both of these images, they help us to see the power of the peace of Christ to rule and the word of Christ to dwell and guide us. Living under their influence, it makes us different people. One of the most important reasons God desires our worship is it changes us. Worship is an encounter with God that changes us. Now, God isn't counting how many times we come to church or pray or read scripture or give, you know, stuff like that. God doesn't have a scorecard. What God cares about is the kind of people that we're becoming, the character that he's growing in us. God wants to fill us with the character of Jesus, to become reflections of Jesus out in our world. Worship Worship is the atmosphere where that happens. When the Holy Spirit meets with our spirit and changes us. Now, that makes worship very dangerous. Like it's risky business in worship. Because the whole point of God changing us is that we would actually live lives that show the change. Worship that doesn't lead to changed lives, it's not worship. It's entertainment or it's something that we're doing to feel better about ourselves. I was in a Bible study a number of years ago with a guy who seemed pretty bored and unengaged most of the time with our Bible study. It definitely was not a worship experience for him. I'm pretty sure I caught him waking up a couple of times. Like, it was just killing him, you know. But then a friend of his got him involved in a ministry that served the poor. 
And that changed everything. He got to work on things and fix things that he, he just loved doing it. And he was really good at it. He started experiencing God working in his life as he was doing that stuff. Praying with people. He got to serve people. His faith got bigger. His heart for the poor grew larger. And that ministry, it was a place of worship for him. Serving was a place of ministry for him. Because he was experiencing God in ways that he hadn't in, in our Bible study for sure. But mostly in his life, hadn't experienced God in that way. And those encounters with God were changing him. Worship is an encounter with God that changes us. Now, the third thing you need to know about worship is that worship aligns us with God's agenda for our broken world. See, seeking justice, caring for the poor, working for racial reconciliation, reflecting Jesus' love for the world that he created and died for, those are just some of the things on God's agenda for our broken world. Just some of the things that are on there. Now, worship should show us what God is passionate about. And that, man, that helps, us, that helps us be passionate about those things too. So sometimes we treat worship, and I, I know I've done this, we can come into worship in a, in a place like this, and we can treat worship like a vending machine. You know, like, God, I could use some love today. And push that button. Or, God, I could use some, some encouragement today, and we push that button. We just ex are expecting God to provide for what we want. For some of you uh, students out there, you're thinking, God, I, I could use you to change my parents right now. So push that button, right? And some of you spouses are like, mm, how about this one over here? Push that button. You know, God sees our heart in worship. God knows what we need, what we hope for, what we aspire to. Uh, he knows that. But God also wants us to know his heart too. And worship is the place where he reveals it. One last story. Stephen Lungu used to be the international team director for African Evangelistic Enterprise. That's the organization that we worked with to, uh, and partnered with to build the Center for Champions. And Stephen uh, was abandoned uh, by his parents and placed in an orphanage at the age of six. His first day at the orphanage, some of the kids there beat him up, and then the staff, some of the staff beat him up because he didn't know the names of the kids who had beat him. Stephen eventually ran away, became a street kid, and joined a local gang. That pain of being abandoned and living a life where he had been mistreated, it turned into anger and rage, hatred and violence. And Stephen one day found himself outside of this Christian revival meeting with a couple of other gang members. They had some bombs and they were going to blow up the meeting. Well, they decided just to go inside first and see what was happening. Immediately, Stephen said, it sounded like the preacher was speaking directly to him. He talked about a Jesus who loved Stephen unconditionally, who cared for the orphan and the poor, who, who died on a cross to pay for his sin. And suddenly Stephen just felt compelled, like he was, suddenly found himself walking forward, falling at this preacher's knees, holding on to him, and just weeping. Weeping. Well, the only thing that made sense to him in that moment was Jesus' love. It was real, it was powerful, and he had been living a life totally lost without it. 
that experience, that worship experience, it totally changed him. Not only to become a follower of Jesus, but Stephen felt like uh, he needed to turn himself in for all the crimes he'd committed. So he went to the police station and he told them, last night I became a Christian and I realized that everything that I've been doing is wrong. You know, a bunch of stuff I've been doing is wrong. The love of Jesus arrested me last night, so here I am. So the police officer uh, interrogated him for about eight hours. Stephen confessed to all these things that he'd done. And finally, the police officer said, Well, Stephen, if your Jesus has forgiven you, then uh, I forgive you. We forgive you also. There's nothing good uh, gained from keeping you here. So you are free to go. And then the other police officer who was there took some money out of his pocket and handed it to him and said, Go buy a Bible. Stephen's been telling people about Jesus ever since. Now, you see, that experience, it totally changed Stephen. That kind of thing doesn't happen to all of us. That's pretty extraordinary, right? Like, you know, we, not many of us are, are, are sort of in that framework. But that experience totally changed him. Stephen goes to a police station, confesses his crimes, and, and when the police department, they don't press charges, he's free to go. And ever since then, he's been aligned with God's agenda for this world. He's been traveling throughout Africa, preaching the gospel, helping develop ministries that help the poor. Now, aligning with God's agenda for this broken world meant for Stephen that he would preach the gospel. But aligning with God's agenda for the world means something else for, the, for others of us. Like it could mean for some of us doing justice. For others of us, it could mean racial reconciliation. For some of us, it might mean doing something about this international refugee crisis. For others of us, it might mean making our workplace a righteous place. Aligning with God's agenda for our world is why Bell Press is going to be sponsoring a new church, and we're going to tell you a little bit more about them, so I'll, I'll hold back on what I was going to say right there, it's just so uh, we can break that news to you. It's also why we do Jubilee Day, which, a little shameless plug here, if you haven't signed up yet, please, we still have time to do that through uh, the Jubilee Reach website. We know a God of relentless love and radical grace, who came to show us how life should be like. Justice for the poor, a life where for everyone everywhere they could flourish. And in return, the people back then, they whipped him and beat him and hung him on a cross until he died. By his death, Jesus paid the debt for our sin in full. By his resurrection, his victory is our victory. Victory over sin, victory over death, new life now, new life forever. He alone is the only one worthy of our worship. No idol, no false god, no one compares. So, how can worship be a lifestyle for you this week? And what might God want to change in you? And where might God be aligning you more with his agenda for a broken world? So, Jesus, we worship you. You have given us it all. Your life so that we could have life. Your death which cleanses us. Jesus, we exalt you. Set us free from the things that have a hold of us.
and help us be about your agenda in this world. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.